This episode of Transmissions is brought to you by Prime Toys, where you can get collector-grade toys without the collector-grade prices. Use the code TRANSMISSIONS at checkout for 10% off all regularly priced Transformers-related items at primetoys.net. This includes all Hasbro, Takara, and third-party transforming toys. Please visit them via the image on our site or go to transmissionspodcast.com slash primetoys. This episode is also brought to you with the support of our listeners. If you're able to donate, please visit our support page at transmissionspodcast.com slash support. On that page, you will find links to donate via Patreon or PayPal. If you can't donate monetarily, please help us out by spreading the word about our show. Are you an exclusive cover collector? Like things with limited prints? Or simply a fan of amazing artwork? Well, those hilarious guys at Transmissions Podcast have commissioned an exclusive cover of IDW Publishing's Till all are one, number one. The comic is available online from their sponsor, primetoys.net, as well as they have a table at both TFCon Toronto and TFCon Chicago, where you can buy it or pick up a copy you had previously pre-ordered. For more information on how to pre-order, click the link in the show notes. Yeah, I went back this week and listened to a bunch of your... um your podcasts. Oh um, no. <laughs> no, I mean I you know, I, I'm I'm so familiar with uh with so many different podcasts from different worlds, whether it's, you know, what's on Joe Mind or or um you know Galaxy of Toys, um that I've been remiss to really um get into Transformers this year. Um but it was good. I got a little bit of an education. Man, you guys do a lot of stuff on your podcast. Um and and that's a very delicate balance sometimes, but y'all do it very well. And it's it's very informative. So I have added you. So now I'll be, we'll be listening oh. to all of your podcasts. Oh awesome. awesome. Thank you. Well, well we try, I mean we try to stay organized and not go off topic too much. Well, but Jeremy for me, uh, getting getting a podcast where you're going to deal with the toys, the comics, and not just, let's say, uh, vintage stuff, but you're going to deal with the third-party stuff, you're going to deal with new releases, you know, because when this Titans line comes out, I mean, as a vintage fan, I, my head's going to explode. I can't <laughs> wait to get this stuff. So I, I, I'm glad there's a, there's a podcast where I can get all my information very quickly without a lot of... Um, uh, I don't want to say ancillary. A lot of podcasts kind of devolve into um, dick jokes, and and you know, you guys like each other, but it's not just you know crude misogynistic um, gutter humor, I guess. Oh, we have the we have a good way of dick jokes too. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, but but you don't let it interfere with your ability to get your, your work done. So. Right. We have a we have a backup going, right? Somebody? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Because we just have a promo now. I'm I'm, I'm just saying we have a promo and right an endorsement on. by a real person. I don't know. I don't know how far back you went into the catalog to listen, Mark. But we had an insider in 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 our in, in the Hasbro side of of things, feeding us information, who who we call deep throating. Now I don't know how much of a dick joke you think that is, but we think that's a pretty big dick joke. <laughs> that's a, well, it works on three different levels. Of course. You know? of it course. works on, on the Nixonian level, on the X-Files level, on the, on the level of pornography. So <laughs> you, you hit all the bases. Right, right, yeah.
Hello all sentient beings and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the Transformers. On this classy and white balanced episode of Transmissions, we sit down with author and toy collector Mark Bellamo to chat about the hobby, his toy collection, and his brand new book, The Ultimate Guide to Vintage Transformers Action Figures, on this hot off the presses episode of Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that definitely fired first. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. Yo! Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hey. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right. And we have a special interview show today. And Daryl, who did you bring with you to do an interview? Our guest today is known throughout the Transformers fandom for creating the now incredibly hard to find Transformers identification and price guide back in 2007. To my excitement, uh, there is a second edition of the identification and price guide coming very soon. Now, what a lot of people may not know, I didn't, is that on top of being an expert on G1 Transformers, this person is also an expert on vintage Transformers and G.I. Joe. So basically, all 80s toys. It's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Mark Belomo to Transmissions. Thank you very, very much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to to talk about the new book and and to talk about toys in general. Uh, I would say I don't do it enough, but I do it literally 25 hours a day. Um, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this and to talk about the world of Transformers. Awesome. All right. Well, let's jump right in. So first off, uh, Mark, uh, who, who is Mark Belomo? What do you, what, uh, what's your, your day to day? What, uh, you know, what do you, what do you do? Um, I came by, toys and action figures by the side door um i've always loved them i've always collected them but i went to college for um literature for american literature specifically and i wrote a bunch of papers published a bunch of papers and wrote some college level textbooks on american modernism and composition and rhetoric and Hemingway and Faulkner and Penn Warren and Elizabeth Maddox Roberts and people like that. Until one day in 2003, I was reading a copy of Toy Shop magazine. And on the back of that magazine, it says they were looking for, it said they were looking for contributors. And I reviewed some toys for their November 2003 issue. And they liked it so much, they asked me to write an action figure column every two weeks for five years. And so I used uh, the writing samples I had from comp and rep textbooks and from from papers that I published um, kind of as a proving ground to prove that I could uh, write about toys. I know that sounds really strange, um, but but I, you know, this is the way I look at it. To most people or to the United States in general, what is more popular, what's more powerful to the collective consciousness, Transformers or Ernest Hemingway? When I write an article and it's published in the North Dakota Quarterly or the Hemingway Review, you know, maybe three or 400 people read it. 
when I write a book on Transformers or an article on Transformers, that could be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people reading it. So in my opinion, I, that's, that's how I got to toys. That's why I like them. I try and add that critical lens that I developed with literature to action figures. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, so you would say that, that <clears throat> your, your, your day to day job is, is a, is a writer essentially. Well, I, for years, I think for 15 or 20 years, I was the director of special programs at a small college in upstate New York. And thanks to the success of some of the work that, that Krause has published of mine, I quit that job on December 31st. So now what I do when I get up at 10 o'clock in the morning is I read about action figures and write about action figures until I go to bed at like three or four in the morning. It's a dream uh, job. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. It, it is a dream job. But I think you, you guys have heard the expression, you never want to know how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, you know, I'm privy to some things behind the scenes that, you know, you, the five of us talking today uh, really love the brand. Um, this is how I'll put it. When I went to community college, I had a job at a toy store, at a KB toy store at a mall. And I thought, oh, my God, greatest job ever. And this is right about the time when Batman, the animated series, action figures came out. So the short pack figures were like uh, Batman, the animated series, Penguin and Two-Face. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to get a job at KB. It's going to be great. And then you realize that most of the people involved at a toy store and most of the people involved at a toy company are involved in that store or that company as a business. They are not creative types. So. So the the lone detracting thing that I'll say is the people talking right now and the people listening right now out there in listening land are very passionate about the brand, but a lot of people making decisions are often business executives who have no loyalty to the brand. And, you know, that's where most of the problems crop up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I want to let you know that uh, prior to this interview, uh, Charles came across an 18-part YouTube series from 2009 that showed uh, you in the process of reshooting some pictures for your second edition of the G.I. Joe Guide, um, as well as going through a uh, a very packed storage locker from what you described as being only 40% of your own collection. Um, now, from watching this series, I myself have did power through the uh, the entire 18 episodes, um, and I would have to say that uh, that it sh- it seemed like Migos were your first love. Then it came to uh, it sh- seemed like you had an insane amount of Star Wars stuff. So I would assume Star Wars comes in uh, a, a second. Um, then it kind of fifty fifty split on GI Joes or Transformers. Um, how far off am I there? Um, I'm going to cite this disclaimer first because I know that you expressed earlier that you're going to put a link uh, to the collectible spectacle 18 part documentary. Yes, that's right. That was recorded in 2009, many, many, many moons ago. <laughs> um, I I kind of use that storage space as as a, a stopping point. In 2009, I was moving from. Uh, one apartment to uh, my first house. 
So uh, I used that space as kind of a dropping off point. And I know that it was messy. I apologize for all of you purists out there because I've heard comments like, that fucking idiot, why is he walking on long boxes full of silver and golden age comics? They were in front. They were all that stuff was in there for like a week, and then it was moved into climate controlled stuff. Don't freak out when you watch the videos. I'm very careful about the toys that I collect because I need to use them in books and because I love them, most importantly. So I, I had to get that disclaimer out there because I get angry emails from collectors like, if I had all the stuff that you had, I wouldn't. That was, I was doing someone a favor to shoot that, and, and I, you know, anyhow. Um, my first love, uh, I, I like the way you put that. Um, my first love was uh, Amigo figures. Amigo figures were, other than the Captain Action line of 1966 to 1968, uh, Amigo's official world's greatest action figures, or Amigo's official world's greatest superheroes, were the first DC and Marvel comics um, mass-produced superhero line with, with cloth costumes and as a kid growing up in the 70s, I worshipped those things. I didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents didn't have a lot of money. So I could afford, like, you know, the popular ones. The popular ones were made in the greatest numbers. Superman and Batman and Robin and Spider-Man and Captain America. And, but there were, there were certain characters that I not only always wanted, but I never saw in the store. Which is really weird because... I know we're used to looking for new assortments of toys in a toy store and you go in and you're like, like the, uh, the latest wave of, uh, Marvel legends, uh, the captain America. Yes. Civil war stuff. Like I went in a couple days ago and, and I, I was looking for that wave and I found all of them except for the black Panther. So we're, we're used to the popular character or the short pack character not being available. Well, back then that, that just didn't really happen because there weren't, uh, collectors who are going to keep them and preserve them, but there were a couple figures that I never had that I always wanted. Uh, the lizard, the green arrow, and and if you get a chance, go online and take a look at some of these. I know they look um, kind of ludicrous compared to the technology that's that's you know if you look at the the one twelve figures right that Mezco's coming out with, is it Mezco? The one twelve twelve inch superheroes that you know literally look like they were came right out of the, the pages of a, of a comic book. Mm-hmm. They put these Mego figures to shame. But as a kid, they were the Alpha and Omega. <laughs> and, and the first time I was bitten by the collector's bug was like in 86 or 87. I saw an advertisement in a magazine. I saw that in a toy magazine. I saw that they were selling the Mego Green Arrow mint in box for like, I think it was $80, which was a lot of money back then. Um, and I... I bought all the figures I was missing. And since I collected G.I. Joe and Transformers and Star Wars as a kid, then I started to go back. And and I realized that if I work three or four or five jobs, that I could buy all the toys ever that ever existed for all the toy lines that I loved. So I did that slowly over the course of like 20 or 30 years. Um, G.I. Joe first, um, because I was really involved in that community. But there was something about the Transformers backstory. Um, and I'm not talking about the, the UK stuff. I'm not talking about the Simon Furman stuff. I'm talking about that original eight-page proposal 
um, that Jim Shooter typed up, that hallowed sacred proposal, the puissance, the essence of the Transformers line, there's something about that that I just loved. And every time I'm working on Transformers, you know, I'm not a guy who I don't watch TV and I don't watch movies. I listen to them because I'm always I have OCD. I'm always doing something while I'm doing research, but I'll actually sit and watch like season one and season two of, of Transformers more than makes the eye cartoons. And I've watched Transformers the movie probably a hundred times because it's just so beautiful. So there's something about Transformers that uh, or or my favorite is watching Transformers cartoons, making notes, reading tech specs, and then right before I go to bed, reading like issue six and seven of Dreamwave's uh, More Than Meets the Eye uh, bio collections from 2003. And 2000. Oh, my God. That, there's Those are well written. I just love it. There's something about the characters and the backstory. So do I have a favorite line? Uh, Migo got me into collecting. They were my first love. But really, whatever whatever I'm working on at the current time, I'm really immersed in. I love, I love the way that the creative people devised their backstories in the '80s, and they did such a good job that they still resonate 30 years later. Right on! No, no, that's fantastic. Um, now you mentioned in the series that uh, now again, like you've mentioned, it's that's a long time ago. We're talking probably seven years now. Um, you mentioned that that one of your ultimate goals was probably to open up a toy museum. Mm. Is this is this still a goal or has this transitioned to something else now? Uh, I live in New York State, and I don't know if you guys know this, but in New York State, we have a lot of these things called taxes. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, I, I give up probably half of all the money I make over to, to New York State. So it's, I've looked into it. It's very difficult to establish a toy museum in New York state. Okay. Uh, but, but what I've done, and, and I think, I think the Austin toy museum does a good job with that. Um, and I'll, and I'll put in that plug for Caleb, but I think what I've been doing, what I've been working on since 2012 or 2013 is I, I bought a website. I had a friend of mine develop it. All the directories are written. So when I, quit my job at the college in on December 31st of last year, beginning January 1, I started writing all the flavor text and I started taking photos for, for the, let's say, I don't know how many I have now, probably somewhere between 68,000 and 70,000 action figures I have. Okay. So it's going to be kind of a holistic website for action figures because not everyone's going to be able to afford to visit a museum. But mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to incorporate comics and action figures into, into as I said before, a holistic whole. So that when you're reading about Wolverine's uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars action figure that was produced in, in 84, whether it's the, the Black Claws or the earlier Silver Claws variation, you can find out what issue of the X-Men he first wore that uniform in, what was Wolverine's first appearance. And since I have the about 120, 130,000 comics... I can not only put a picture of the cover in a hyperlink, I can scan the panels where he first wore that costume and put that in there too. Nice. So when you, when you type in, uh, all right, give me a superhero. Give me any superhero. Doesn't matter. Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman. Okay. <laughs> so when you type in Aquaman, what it's going to show you first is you type in the word Aquaman and it's going to take you to Aquaman's first 
mass-produced action figure, which is, was in 1966 under the Captain Action line. There's going to be a photo of, of the Captain Action figure wearing that uniform. Then there are going to be pictures of each accessory for that uniform. And then there's going to be a bio on Aquaman a la Arthur Curry talking about his first appearance in comics. I don't have his first appearance in More Fun, so I'll use a scan for that. But his first Silver Age appearance will be in there, and in, in I think it's um, uh, Brave and the Bold. And then there'll be an Aqualad costume, because that came out in uh, 1968. And then the Mego Type 1 Aquaman, the Mego Type 2 Aquaman. Then after that, we're going to put in the Superpowers Aquaman from 1984. And then, you know, go up to the 1990 Toy Biz DC superheroes. So that's, that's what this... And whenever a character changes an outfit, then I'll put the requisite comic book... Uh, allusion or, or photo of that in there as well so that's what i've been working on for the last six months that seems like a lot of work <laughs> well as, as you said before i mean it's is it really work yeah that's no well, i mean there's a lot of uh, just on costume changes right it seems like the uh, like this in the last few years, Spider-Man has changed his costume like every other week. Okay, and, what's going to limit? But what's going to limit what I'm doing is it's going to be based on the action figures. Ah, uh, so, okay. So uh, I'll have to show Wolverine's original Tiger Stripe uniform as it's worn in, in the Marvel Legends first appearance, and then I'm going to have to show his Fang costume that he wore in I think it was '76. And so it's it's going to be it's going to be tempered by action figures. It's going to be action figure driven using comic books to inform. Okay. So cool. if, if you don't mind the nerd and me mm-hmm. jumping in here for just a second, why, why place a limitation on it? I mean, with, with web apps and databases being what they are, why not have that open to the public and curated by a select number of people who are trustable in an area of say comic books, if they want to also include Wolverine's jumpsuits throughout the entire comic book history or, or Aquaman's suits throughout the entire Japanese manga line or what have you. So, so are you asking, can stuff be added to the website as it's up there? Or are you asking for a physical, about a physical <clears throat> museum? I'm asking about the website and allowing it to be, uh, you know, Wikipedia is the example, but a shitty engine. I mean, why right, why, yes. why not have that kind of a setup where you've got people? Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to bed like you are at two in the morning, and I'm I'm reading this text back on so and so, and I want to add that to your website, and somebody else curates it, verifies it, and approves it. Well, I think that that's what has to happen. Okay. Yeah, so oh, so your website it. isn't yeah. going to be limited to to figures but that's what you're limiting your particular involvement in. Well, I think I think it's it's a really good question. I think I think what what has to happen is there has to be something extant. There has to be something that exists and then uh, after it exists then once, you know, in 6 months then we start opening it, it up for editing purposes and have exactly as you said have five people involved in or six people involved in curating yeah um, looking at the information and saying oh my god holy shit we do need that that's really so, important so the, the nerd in me is the, the the question i'm getting at is it is it being built from the ground up to support that future yes. involvement or is that future involvement going to have to be developed when the time is right it is being built from the ground up with that in mind i salute you sir 
The only the only thing that that it will not have initially are forums. Gotcha. Um, That's probably very smart. <laughs> well, I, yes and no. I think a lot of people want to to be able to to soapbox a bit, um, but I, I'd rather initially have the work stand out first. Yeah. Um, forums are a lot of work to moderate and, and run, yeah. so get the other stuff. Up right, and running yeah. first. And the goal is right now, you know, I've spent the last, I think, you know, 30 years compiling this stuff up, you know, and I'm, I'm, we're not just talking about like G.I. Joe and Trent and the Big Six. I'm talking about Glamour Gals and Sectors and Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake and Monster High from, you know, 2010 to, you know, 2015. So this is going to be, this should be a, a spot where any casual fan or, or, aficionado can go to when they're curious about a toy line they don't have and furthermore they should be able to click on sectors or on spiral zone or on starcom and say okay what did this come with what exactly did this come with and it's all laid out right there and and you know it's easy to do for the bigger lines but for the for the more esoteric stuff you know what does um marble secret wars constrictor the fornix what does his whip look like It'd take you 10 minutes, 15 minutes just to find a sample online, much less get a good copy. So that's that's what this is going to be for. Nice. That's very cool. Let us know when uh, when you're ready to, to, to let everyone know and we'll help you out with some press. You got it. No problem. Now for my hard-hitting question. Uh-oh. I know. Um, some psychologists have said that at the point you start forgetting what you have in your collection, it should be a red flag and you should start backing down. First off, do you forget that you have items in your collection? And secondly, has there ever been a moment that made you think perhaps I should take a step back? Um, over the course of the last two years, I've, I've really gone through everything I own. I'm still finishing up with comic books right now and finding what I have and making sure I have everything that I need. Um, if I weren't writing books about these toy lines, if I weren't developing this website, then it, it wouldn't have utility. So to me, um, the stuff that I own has utility. Uh, just because you may whoever may not like um you know i just mentioned glamour gals and monster high just because certain people might not like those someone on the planet right now is a fan of that line and is looking for more information on it so all right i'll, I'll give this anecdote i had a professor in graduate school while i was in grad school i worked at a video rental store remember those like blockbuster yeah. This professor was a genius. I think he was working on his PhD at Harvard. He was in like page 250 and they said, stop, we're conferring the degree, go home. He was a smart guy. Every time he came in to rent DVDs, he would get one award-winning DVD and he'd get one DVD that was just mind-numbingly awful. 
like you know like jingle all the way or you know something horrible like uh christmas movies about puppies and twins you know it's just really horrible stuff <laughs> every time he did this i'd ask him well i understand why you're renting lawrence of arabia but why are you renting snow pups and he'd always say something like best dog sledding scene ever <laughs> he just, just walk away you know <laughs> i can and the point I'm trying to make is even in some of these lines that most people would think are are just terrible, are awful, because I'm such a fan of toys, I can I can usually, 99% of the time, find something redemptive about that line. And that's why I try not to opine to offer opinions in my books about certain characters, you know. If you read um, this new Transformers book, you're going to be hard-pressed to find which of these Transformers is my favorite Generation 1 Transformer, because that's not my job. My job is to provide information in a way that's palatable to the general public. Um, so that's how I look at what, what I do. Okay. Now, but what about the first part of the question where, um, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's all yes. fine. Yes. You, you do forget. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. My God. Now, yes. So, so that 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 must be a problem then. Obviously, if not for you know budgetary reasons, that you end up buying five or six of the same thing because oh, you've no. simply it, forgotten. It, yeah, I would never get. It would never get to that to to that degree. I wouldn't let it. Um, something weird happened to me when I was a kid. This isn't going to devolve into like a very strange story. When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, my mom and dad bought me a Fisher Price Magic Slate. And if you look at the Fisher Price Magic Slate from 1972, it has numbers and letters. Um, now I'm not looking at it right now, but I can see every every. This is how I remember stuff, and I have a pretty good memory. I don't think it's. Uh, it's a photographic memory, and I, I know it's not a tonal eidetic memory. Whenever I see a word, I see colors, and this is what I'll say. Uh, a is red, B is orange, C is yellow, D is green, E is blue, and on and on and on like that, based on this one toy. And so whenever I see uh, a character's name, Optimus Prime, I don't just see the name. I see the name in, in colors. And that allows me to much Optimus Prime is uh, blue, orange, uh, yellow. I, it, it allows me to memorize what I have pretty easily. So I think over the course of like of my career, I've probably bought doubles of something, not deliberately, you know, because I thought there would be a way to to flip it and, and you know trade it for something better, maybe ten times. Oh, okay. Less, less than less than a dozen times in my life. But it's it's always been a, just by accident. Right? Yeah, it's it's usually one of those really weird situations where oh my god, uh, 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 like a file card. Uh, I know I needed a, an uncut uh, silver grand grand slam silver pads file card from 1983. Um, uh, and by mistake, I bought one when uh, I had one. I got one like two years ago, something like that. But nothing, you know, I didn't buy a Spinarella by mistake, mint on card. You know, that'd be crazy. <laughs> All right. 
So what made you decide to put out the original uh, Transformers Identification and Price Guide? I usually try and release my uh, my bigger books, my bigger guides, right before a major media tie-in. So if you look at the Star Wars book that I released and the second edition of the G.I. Joe book that I released, those were released right before the major movies were dropped, and that's exactly what happened with with the unfortunately clinically titled Transformers Identification and Price Guide. I think that that title was just such a bad idea. Um, <laughs> And because it sounds so clinical, it just, it just doesn't sound fun. Um, it sounds antiseptic and it was released in conjunction. Well, not in conjunction because they're not officially licensed books. It was released, um, right before six months before the first movie dropped. And we sold, we sold a lot of copies of that book. Yes. Yeah, you did. Um, and like I said in the intro, it became very, very popular. Um, and, what, uh, and, and no thanks to my photography, because I took the photos of that book, and I had the photographic acumen of like a lab monkey. I'm just horrible at taking photos. So now, <laughs> they, now they send someone out to take the photos for me. And, and that's one of the, the selling points of the new book is every, every robot in vehicle mode has, has been reshot professionally by a professional photographer. Aperture and, and white balance and stuff like that. They consider that stuff. Wow pros mm-hmm. um what made you and this was something fun that about the the book the original book that i thought was really cool what made you decide to use the uh, lenticular uh, optimus prime on the front you know the the acquisitions editor the um editorial director of krause is always thinking of really interesting really cool things to do with books the second edition of my uh I G.I. Joe three and three quarter inch was supposed to have. Uh, we took photos of every single three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe figure, all geared up in a row, and then on the flip side of that was going to be a full USS flag with all the vehicles on it. And it was supposed to be a pull out of the second edition of that book. Sometimes the the cost of production is so prohibitive that we can't do it. It has to come in at under a certain price point. I know. Action figure fans hear that all the time. The reason why we didn't include this is because it has to come in, and that that's we came in under the price point, and we could include that lenticular cover. But because for the second edition, I was pushing for more pages, and I think we got about 30, 30 more pages. Um, we 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 went without the lenticular cover. So it was a cool little addition to the first one. Yeah, and I love lenticular images. Lenticular images are fan. It's just so much fun. It, mm-hmm. it was fun. What? Uh, when did you become aware that the uh, the first edition had become such a hard to find commodity? So, I I kept getting these emails on like my Facebook page, like once or twice a day from people asking if I had any copies of my Transformers Identification and Price Guide for sale. And I said, you know, that's weird. I mean, they usually just get them from Amazon or get them from Krause. So I probably had a case of them that I use for book signings left over. And I said, oh, you know what? Uh, as long if they PayPal me the money, you know, whatever, uh, I'll send them a copy. I don't even think I charge the, those people for shipping. Mm-hmm. So I had like one copy left. I have I always keep one copy for myself. I had a, one one extra copy left. And uh, one of my buddies emailed me and said, 
you know those that case of books that you just sold? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you know, those are selling for like $75 right now. I said, what Transformers are you talking about? He's like, no, the book. I said, what? You know, to me, that, that didn't make any sense. That, that a collectible book that I wrote after it went out of print would be worth money. Because that's what happens to thing to legitimate things like back issues and toys after they're produced. So, mm-hmm. it, for, in my that was that's one of the highest honors. I I feel very uh, I don't know, humbled by it, I guess, um, because it doesn't seem like uh, something that would ever happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't I don't put a value, and that's one of my always been one of my problems. I don't put a value or enough value on what I do. Um, and, and so when that happened, I was shocked. I was nonplussed. I didn't know what to say. And it's happened with the second edition of the GI Joe book. We're in the same uh, place, but that, you know, there are Kindle copies available, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a trade paperback guy. I I like to own the original issue. I'm not a digital comic guy. I like to own the original issue. So I get it. I I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that's, that's so cool that it went so, uh, so well for you. I'm very, very lucky. I consider myself very, very lucky every single day in my life. I'm a very, very lucky person. So let's talk about the new book. Um, basic question, why now? It's been nine years since you released the last one. Uh, is there something special happening? Uh, was the fan outcry getting too loud, or was it simply just time for a new version? I think it was a combination of different factors. I think... I think once we got confirmation that they're going to be, didn't they just confirm within the last like year or something, they're going to do three more Transformers movies for sure. Something like that. Lots more. Yeah. Yeah. Lots. (laughs) Shared universe more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Um, (laughs) I think, I think once that happened and I think, as you said, the fan outcry, I think they, honestly, I think Krusty probably got a little sick of, of fielding the calls with, you know, uh, where can I get a copy of this book? You know, my son wants it and I can't pay $150 for it. Right. So never underestimate your power as a consumer to get companies to do something. I think, I think right now, more than any other time in the history of the world, Consumers can convince company. Consumers can convince companies of casting changes in movies, folks. I mean, this is you all have a lot of power, and you don't realize what power you have. If you want something done, if enough, you know, it's the dream of a thousand cats. If enough people want it to happen, then it's going to happen. And and I think, I think the editorial director of Krause got sick of saying. No, it's not in print. No, I don't know where you can get a copy. I, and, you know, I finally said, let's just pull the trigger on it. And we're, we're you know, we're really lucky that it's, it's the number one um, seller, uh, new release in antiques and collectibles. So very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. Can't say it enough. So <clears throat> are, there, uh, are there any new features you've added to the book? I think ideally what I wanted to happen was um, for all – for a good deal, the designer of the first book, I don't think understood what pages you should be dedicating, what characters should get a full page spread, what characters should get a half page spread. I think there's a point in the first book where some of the, the technobot limbs 
Afterburner and Strength got a full page. Okay. And I think Computron and um, I think he was sharing a page with someone else. You know, it's just I wanted to to really go back and say, okay, the Ultra Pretenders and the Mega Pretenders they need more room. Um, you know, this is this is a, a a really beautiful piece. We want this to have two pages or, or three pages or, and I think. Uh, this designer that I've been working with, and I worked with Nicole Martin on um, the Star Wars book as well, I think she really knew how to strike a balance. I could communicate with her too. I could send her an email and say, "No, we we don't want that." You know, these this is a, a very important Melloway, and and you know the Star's headquarters needs this. And she was she was very um, very easy to work with in that respect. Um, so. And that's important. Yeah. Um, you know, when I open the book and I see that that Afterburner has a full page spread, and the the picture of the figure is so big, you can actually see it getting washed out. That's that's a bad delivery. That's not good. We don't want that. But you know, this this is a a more thoughtful book. Um, I had to go back and I had to change some of the alternate modes, particularly of the 84 and the 85 characters, because we're, we're getting closer and closer to identifying Optimus Prime's entire alternate mode. Um, we're getting closer and closer to, to looking at the race cars from the Autobot cars assortments from 84 and 85. And now we know who the drivers of those cars were. We know exactly what number they were. You know, it's mm-hmm. a lot of things have happened in nine years. You know, yeah. I. I think it was six years ago when I was playing with a, an Optimus Prime G, Prime G1 trailer, and I'm like, why does this feel heavier? Are those metal plates in the side? What's going on? Then I learned about the uh, the uh, the metal plates that slid out of the sides in the trailer instead of the label sheet. So I wanted to include a photo of that. You know, little things cropped up that I that I thought you know bore more attention. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I went through and I tweaked some of the language and and um, tweaked some of the introductions, but it's it's the same book. It's got most of this. It's got all the same material. It's just bigger, better, and the photographs are probably ninety percent better because they were all shot by a professional in a studio with you know light boxes and and it's it it you know plus. Um, I I had to replace some samples. I think I've replaced certain transformers twice since um since the first book came out um due to the gold, gold plastic syndrome uh due to yellowing due to you know it's stuff that happens in age. Yeah. Um, so I I just wanted to make sure that that the samples were good too. Yeah. Uh did you ever think about making an an app version for mobile? I cannot talk about that at this point. Um, what I can say is, yes, it, it is It is being thoughtfully considered. It might not just be limited to Transformers, though. Okay, cool. Sounds exciting. Uh, did, did the release get pushed back? Um, I seem to remember that it was originally coming out June 22nd or so. Uh-huh. Uh, as of right now... I believe the release has been pushed up. Oh, um, I have I a shipping think, notification already from my copy. 
I think, uh, I think June 15th might be the date. I think this thing is going to drop in about two or three days. Um, wow. uh, I'm always, uh, Krause and I are always very, um, conservative with estimations on books. We always, if there are three dates that are possibilities, we put the latest date so that people aren't disappointed about it coming. You know, if we put the first date and you have to wait two, and there are two more pushbacks, that's insulting to fans. Yes. I would rather be more conservative in the estimation and someone be pleasantly surprised than be too optimistic and have upset consumers. And they don't deserve that, you know. It's the Montgomery Scott rule, right? Yes, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) Always tell them that it's impossible. And whenever it comes through, then, uh, then you look like a miracle worker. Mm-hmm. Amazon does say in stock on June 15th. Yeah, I have my um, two copies coming on the 15th. And, you know, I, I rarely, rarely look through my books after I get them, after I get a case sent to me. And this is a book where I said to my wife, listen, I'm going to go out on the back porch. I'm going to grab my smokes. I'm going to make myself a drink and I'm going to sit there for, and I think I just sat there for like two hours, which is a lot of time for me to stand still. I just don't do that. And I just look through it and I, I, I really, I enjoy this. Um, I enjoy reading it because there are the tech specs in there. Everything's very clear. Everything's, um, everything's direct. Um, I think it's easily navigable. Um, no, I'm 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 really happy with it, and it, it it takes a lot to to make me happy. I was really unhappy with the way the photos turned out in the first edition, so finally that's been changed. Good. I, I'm really looking forward to to getting it in uh, my hands. Um, now, with regards to uh, like variants and stuff, um, that can be really really difficult to 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 add with regards to transformers, but. Um, what was the thought process on, cause I know that you've, you've done some adding to, you know, to include some variants, mm. but, uh, with regards to transformers, I mean, there's, there's diaclone, which yes, it, technically it's pre transformers. Um, there's pre rub variants. There's even some G2, which are, are, can be easily mistaken for G1. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, these things can come to light recently, even very recently that, uh, they just, they, they just get mistaken for, for G ones. They're just so easily, um, missed. Um, did, uh, did any of these kind of, kind of crop up in the, in the decision-making process or through, through making the book? I was very lucky that when Toys R Us and, a lot of online manufacturers began manufacturing G1 reproductions and homages, official G1 reproductions and homages. That stuff came out after I had finished collecting the G1 line. I think I had finished the line in its entirety in 2002, in 2003. So almost all of the reproductions occurred after I had finished my line. So, and plus the way I like to buy things um, or the way I, I bought a lot of my transformers was 
mint unsealed card, mint in sealed box, or mint in box with all paperwork. Um, you know, it'd be nice to get a, a sealed sticker sheet. And this is before, you know, prices exploded in the last 15 years. So it was viable back then. Right. Um, so I, that's, and plus I had a, a huge collection from when I was a kid. I probably had 150 to 175 pieces myself. So I only needed maybe 125 pieces to complete the line. I started looking for them in 98, 99 and finished in 0203. So I was fortunate enough to, to be able to guarantee that the samples that are in there are from G1 because, well, you know, <laughs> they didn't make reproductions at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm very fortunate and, and that's, you know, the same way with my GI Joe book. Um, but you know, you, you've got to be really careful, particularly with accessories these days. Yes. Um, and, uh, I only have a limited amount of pages to disseminate information. So when you're talking about variations, like, um, you know, a lot of the, the early, early U.S. released 84 G1s, you know, if you pick up the earliest release of Optimus Prime, that's basically a die-clone toy with, with U.S. stickers, you, yeah. know, you know? So so do I go into that? I, I don't, and, and, and here's my explanation for that. As much as I would like to, to create, devise a product for consumption by just fans, that's not Krause's target market. The target market are casual fans and aficionados who know about the line, but who aren't diehards like us. So I have to draw the line somewhere because there's only so much information and so many photos you can put on a page. If it's an important variation, you know, showing the difference between a, uh, uh, yeah, it's not really a variation, but a target master, um, hot rod and a normal release hot rod and showing the difference between plastic toes and metal toes. Okay. Uh, plastic uh, wheels and metal wheels on Metroplex, stuff like that. But when you get into the plastic chest pieces of the Gestalt limbs versus, you know, the metal, it, it, that, because right now, if I went online, I could find those limbs with plastic pieces or with metal pieces for basically the same price. Yeah. Um, so that stuff that that I leave up to to more of the websites that are out there. I only have 288 pages, and plus sometimes that bogs down the the mission statement of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the big question I get is why didn't you put some of your Japanese exclusive stuff in there? Why don't you have your Star Saber? Why don't you have your Victory Leo? And I say to them because I include domestically released product even if it was for a limited time or as a mail away if i put international stuff in it you know these people are going to think that's part of of hasbro's catalogic g1 line and, and they really weren't you know i'd love to put you know power master overlord in there mm-hmm. you know that cost me money and it was a pain in the butt to find the engines in great condition and the, but it's one of those things where i have to draw the line somewhere so that I, that's my definition for every book that I produce. Now, would I have loved to, I also like to include ephemera, like the, the glow in the dark transformers, the movie posters, the, the iron on, um, samples, uh, that came packaged with the mini cars. But 
some of that stuff had to be removed for space considerations. You know, I got the decoys in there. I, I got the mini spies in there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the changes was I, you know, I finally found the, the one white um, portion mini car that I was missing. So now there's a full set of the models, not the tires. I don't get me into the tire spoke variations uh, <laughs> because, you know, I don't I can't put 48 or 96 toys on one page. Um but, you know, stuff like the Stars Headquarters, you know. But, again, that's not stuff for the Stars Headquarters. That's something that I had to buy literally sealed like 10 years ago so I could open up and guarantee that everything that's put in that photo is what came with that piece. Um, you know, for the Omnibots, I had to do that. For the Time Warrior Watch, I had to do that um, because I think, I think for, for certain – toys you need uh an example is the gi joe malaways for major blood and cobra commander you know there's a certain integrity to getting those brown mailer boxes with the mailer file cards with the cardboard backs getting a photo of that or with a star wars book making sure that i have photos of all the the kenner mailaway figures with the the specific um flyers that came with them so you know, if it was released domestically, even as a mail away, even for a limited time, it's in the book. All right. Well, that's that's a good explanation. Um, growing up in the 90s, uh, there were price guides for just about everything. Wizard magazine, uh, which personally I still miss, uh, was for comics uh, as well as Overstreet. But that was more of a hardcore uh, magazine or a book for pricing. Um, Beckett was for sports cards. And Inquest was for Magic the Gathering cards. Um, nowadays, there really aren't that many price guides around because everything's so digital and price guides change, prices change so quickly. Um, Transformers, on the other hand, have, for the most part, um, their, their worth has always been determined by age and um, condition. And, and essentially, it's, it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Um, so with that being said... Uh, so many things can go into determining the value of a G1 figure from unbroken but missing accessories, which we like to call Daryl complete. Um, <laughs> it, is it repaired? Is oh. it complete? Or is it in package or even sealed? Plus, these aren't even black and white areas. There are a lot of gray or wiggle room kind of areas uh, between these areas. Um but with all that said, how do you determine the value of these uh, these figures for the book? Well, you have to perform a completed item search on eBay for well, at least six months, maybe eight months for all the different values. You know, I have a buddy who generates stuff like that so I can track it. Um, I think Transformerland also tracks the prices pretty well. Um, I have a guy who deals with an auction house who for for mint and sealed box and mint on sealed card prices they deal in a, a vast amount of sealed packaged merchandise not graded uh well, maybe some of it's graded but but i used him for for the first time for one of my books and they have about i want to say five years worth of sealed values that they took and looked at very critically and allowed me to use those values for the high end prices. And wow. those, that's Travis Landry of Bruneau and company. 
Um, and Travis worked very hard, and that's something I'm very proud of, particularly in this guy, because in my estimation, if I never had to put another price in any of my books, I'd be happy. Krause insists upon it because people who buy these books want to know what the value of their toy is, um, even if it's just for, for bragging rights. So I think, I think it's important that it's done thoughtfully and and he really travis really helped out quite a bit on this book um and and it it took a while that was probably a month's worth of work just prices Mm -hmm. wow well and and the real problem is okay looking at at, um the trans the first edition of the transformers book that was released in 2007 that means I wrote the book in 2006, and the prices went in in 2006 for the publishing of the book. Now, the book comes out three or four months before the movie drops. The movie drops. How close do you think the prices from the manuscript that was, that was sent in for publication in early 2006, how close is that? those prices to what's currently on the market right after the movie? It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. The same thing for Star Wars. The same thing for G.I. Joe is, and there's no way you can anticipate certain things. Um, you know, there are certain, certain Transformers that, you know, I was, I wanted to have a, a an original Pepsi Prime, um, in the book with the, the stickers and the flyer in the top, uh, right hand side of the box. And prices on that, we, we cut it for, for time constraints, but prices on that ranged from, and I'm not talking about a steel box, I'm talking about, I just wanted one with that, that sticker intact, ranges from like, oh, $550 all the way up to 1800 Wow. You know, so, and it depends on the day, and it depends on the time of year. It's, it's got to be a very thoughtful process. Mm-hmm. But, and I always say to people, it is a guide. This is a guide. I'm not saying that that is right now what that's worth. Use that as a guide and your best judgment to determine, you know, what that, what you want to pay for the piece. Um, mm-hmm. because there's, and I, I try and put in a range as well. Right. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a pretty distasteful part of what I do is trying to determine these prices. Mm. Was there an ever, ever a thought about doing a second volume to the book? Now, obviously, you're on. You're, you're releasing a second edition, mm-hmm. um, but a second volume to the book that would maybe continue into G2 or Beast Wars, Beast Machines, animated, etc. Uh, now, I'll preface this by saying that I, I, I realize that G1 is, a, for the most part, a fairly self-contained um, in and of itself. But and, and branching off into these other um, these other variations of Transformers uh, would probably cause someone their 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 entire livelihood but uh was that ever consideration um i'll be honest not really um because and i'm not saying i wouldn't love to do it but the problem is i don't self-publish my books anything i write is published by either krause or idw or Hasbro, or, you know, or Wizard, or Mental Floss, or whatever it is. Okay. So, I work for people. Yeah. 
I get paid for that work. And my job is to make money ultimately. And, and it's a selfish reason why I want to make the money because if I make the money, they're going to let me do more projects. I could pitch a, a second volume, you know, uh, Transformers Generation 2, Beast Wars, let's say up to, I don't know, uh, Energon. Let's put a book together. Okay. I could put that pitch together, three paragraphs, put it together tomorrow. And if I chipped away at my acquisitions editor, I could convince him to publish that thing within the next three months. Absolutely. Well, that sounds and, cool. Well, but here's, but, the, here's the problem. If they sell 500 copies of that book, they're not making money. They actually spent a lot of money to send someone from Iola, Wisconsin to my house to take photos for like three or four days and then to print the darn thing, and they're sitting on 10,000 copies in a warehouse, and they sold 500 copies. So now the next time I say to them, listen, I have an idea. Right. I want to do a Marvel superheroes book. And they say, yeah, your last book, that sucked, the big pipe, so you're not going to be doing That's if I've got to be timely about this stuff. And to be quite honest, that that's what's going to happen. If yeah. I publish a second volume, it's not going to sell in the numbers we want to. Now, there's nothing that says somewhere along the line, I don't want to self-publish something like that, particularly if I've already got the photos taken. I've already got the flavor text written. You know, I could put that together, um, but it's uh, would it be from Krausty? No, no. And I haven't self-published anything. Um, so, you know, <laughs> always working on something, though. But, but it, it'd be a nice book. You know, I'd love to, to, to put some of the, you know, some of the rarer Japanese stuff into a book. Um, sure. you know, I, I'd love to see, you know, Garafi and Wazoo and Decibel and Legout and, and Raiden and Metalhawk and it'd be great. Even Orion, Orion Pax and Dion, you know, it, it would be great, but I, I don't know if it's, it's to be. Well, it's important to remember that in the next five years or so, uh, the, the kids who grew up with Beast Wars will be in the position that we were when, uh, when you published the first, uh, the first Transformers book. And that is a very, very, very important comment. Um, that is, that's exactly what's going to happen. And, and that's, I mean, look at what happened to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We thought it was going to be a 15 year cycle, but 15 years after that line went to bed or or after that line was introduced that it would explode it took a little while longer but the values are starting to skyrocket right now mm -hmm. so i i think there is a reverence for beast wars and and more so now for generation two than 10 years ago but i think absolutely in five years in eight years there may very well be you know who's to say that that Hasbro is not going to make a new Beast Wars movie mm. in 10 years, you know, and, and it'll probably happen. So I've got to be poised and ready to take advantage of it. Of course. Yeah. Now, what about third party toys? I mean, are you aware of them? Um, I, I realize that in the grand scheme of things, they're still fairly new to the market when you compare them to G1. Um, but their quantities are, are extremely limited. Their prices are high, um, but their quality is, you know, exceedingly high. Um, does this, this must create value for you in another way. 
Um, I think I, I I think what's being done on the high end of things for third party toys. I think some of these things are the most beautiful toys I've ever seen in my life. You know, I bought one of the very first third party toys maybe twelve years ago. They made a an RC that was just horribly made. I mean, it was it was nothing like what is made now. I think you know someone in their basement put it together and I'm very proud. I was so excited to get it. You know, it was like 12 years ago. I'm like, Oh my God, I have a transformable RC. Yeah. Um, but, but well, you know, it, is it, would it be good for a book? I think Philip Reed did put out a book on third party toys. Um, the guy who runs battlegrip.com. I know he self published a book on third, third party properties. Yeah, he did. He did two books. Yeah. Um, and I believe he's, he's, I haven't heard about any kind of a third, like a continuation. Um, but, uh, they're, they're, they're not exactly the same as on, on the same kind of level as yours. He essentially just puts the, uh, the, the pictures of the figures in the book and, mm-hmm. and, and then the name. And, and I, I can't remember if he, like there, he, t- he talks about which, you know, manufacturer or whatnot comes where they come from, but he okay. doesn't give, um, he doesn't give a lot of information about each figure there. Uh, and to his credit, there's, there there is so much oh and god I, yes. and i and i think that's probably why there hasn't been a third volume is well, i think it's just been yeah i think everyone probably everyone who's listening to this podcast right now has gone on big big bad toy store clicked on third party and just just spent like 15 or 20 minutes looking at the different companies and looking at the different third party toys Yes. I've done that 20 times in my life. Just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's $379. But I don't need to eat this month. I can get that because that is <laughs> so much that is so much better than the G1 Computron. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got you've got the um, the new Computron coming out from Takara. But I because my wheelhouse is 80s toys, I, I appreciate I love some of these third party transformers. But because I've got to focus on uh, the vintage 12-inch G.I. Joe line and the vintage 3 and 3 quarter inch G.I. Joe line and the vintage He-Man and the Master Universe and Princess of Power and real Ghostbusters and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Advancers and Dragons and Adventures of Indiana Jones and Air Raiders and Elden and the Chipmunks and Annie and Army Ants and Atari 2600 games and Barbie Dolls and Barnyard Commandos and Batman the Animated Series and Batman the Movie and Battle Beasts and Battles... I, you know what I'm saying? I'm focusing on on all the yeah. the older vintage lines from A to Z. That for me to spend four hundred dollars on a third, a beautiful, gorgeous third party, you know, Predaking, you know, well that's five or six hundred dollars Predaking that I can display and transform and really love when I could finish one of the vintage lines. That's going to be on my website for that kind of money. It, it, I can't, I can't allow myself. I have not been bitten by the bug. Two things that I've stayed away from so far, Legos and third party transformers, because I know if I open that door, I'm going to be lying in a fetal position on my back porch, just calling my mom, like mom, my bank account's gone. I don't know what to do, (laughs) but I got a lot of Lego. (laughs) Yes. A lot of Lego, and and unfortunately Lego, I don't know if you've seen Lego's detective, the throwback detectives office that they made. I like 
with like a pool room and hidden access. Like it's like a grifter's like old school. Um, it, it's 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 amazing. It's it's Paul. It's great. I, I, I I'm gonna buy it, but I shouldn't. <laughs> I. I... Lego is I've I've I'm upset with Lego. Kids don't treat it the same way as we did when we were kids. It's it's become the the new model kits and and it should should be just built once and or twice in the way in, that it's supposed to be and you throw the instructions in a pile so you can do it eventually again and then you break it all apart in a big bin and you build whatever the hell it comes into your head. That's the way I always did it myself, but kids are just building it once and putting it on a shelf and never touching it again. And oh, that's a shame. That's every kid I ever see that has Legos now just has it up on a shelf and they never, ever touch it. And it drives me nuts. I'm like, that's a Lego set. You should break it and build something else fun. But yeah, yeah. that was that was the that was the joy when you're little is you build it and then you literally smash it and then build yep. something. You know, you build everything that it shows on the box and everything in the instructions. You do that first and then you build what you want with it. Wow. Yeah, what a shame. Exactly. But that's shame. that's my my small rant on Lego, but I buy it for my daughter and and she she loves it. Awesome. But I make her I make her break it and, and put it in a in a bin after she's done with it. So that's what makes you a good parent: breaking <laughs> your children's toys in front of her. <laughs> no, no, I make her break it. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. That's um, how America does it. It's how Dad did it. That's he's right. That that's so right. far uphill both ways in the yeah. pouring rain. <laughs> um. Back to the the figures. How, where, and how would you manage to track down some of these these rare and 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 old old figures? Give me an example. Okay. Um. Like. Uh, oh man. Like. Power dashers, the mail-in power dashers. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So what I would, how I look for my toys is, um, before this year. This year I've had to cut out all my my book signing appearances because i've been promising to finish this website since 1947 but whenever i i go to a local toy show or a local convention um always get the early pass if you can how how expensive shipping is today with how expensive it is today if you can go to your local collectible dealer or a local toy show or even a bigger one, drive a couple hours to get to it, you'll not only save money on shipping, but you're going to find stuff, you know, that, that you need there. Um, when I'm looking for something that's a little more esoteric and I have to buy it on eBay, what I'll do is I do the, the saved follow searches on eBay. I have at any given time like 200 searches going. I get my report at 701 every morning. And then I click on it if it's if it's what I need. And, um, you know, these pieces were made in the millions. So eventually someone's going to end something on a Sunday morning at three o'clock and you'll find it close to the price you wanted. I mean, I'm not going to say that you're going to find it a mint in sealed box stars, you know, headquarters for fifty dollars or anything. But but. If if the price range for a toy is between $20 and $32, in six months, you should be able to find that toy for $20. Um, but it takes patience. And you, if you're not looking for the pieces you want on a daily basis, then, you know, then you're going to lose out. You have to – it's – you always have to have your eyes open for this stuff. 
always, always flea markets, flea markets, um, uh, garage sales, uh, local shows. Go to as many as you can. I have found amazing stuff at those places. Now, do you generally you'll generally buy figures complete at the at one point at one time, right? You don't buy them in in figures or and then try and track down accessories at a later point if uh if someone convinces me that i need to start collecting a particular toy line uh, you know i'm hard pressed to think of one that i'm not collecting right now so i'll use 90s toy lines as an example uh okay playmates the playmates ducktales line or the the playmates um darkwing duck line if I don't have any pieces for a toy line, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a lot first, a big lot of those toys first, because with as many parts as possible that has no um, reserve price, then that's starting the auction at a, you know, a zero. Um, because I think the best way when you're starting a collection is to buy a huge lot because you save a, a ton of money doing it that way. But eventually, you're going to have to track down the accessories and the instruction booklets and the kibble and the accoutrements that you need. So usually, I'll, I'll go for the lot first, and and then I'll, I'll little by little I'll, I'll find the accessories. Do you have any like tips or tricks that you would uh, give to any collectors out there that would uh, help them find, or what do you, what do you do to find your your accessories or, or little bits that you're looking for other than like obviously ebay well you know there there are so many websites out there you need to form a network if this is a, if this is a hobby that you're serious about um usually and i remember when i was finishing my transformers line i had you know five to ten buddies that that were collecting at the same time where if this guy bought a transformers lot of let's say 15 accessories and he needed three of those, he would forward the, the list on to other people. And that's while how he'd trade it out. You, you, you can't just, uh, you can't be a, a collector on an Island. You need to reach out because if you have a double, you can trade that for something that you need. Make the more relationships you have with collectible stores, with other collectors, um, the more skill you're going to have. I mean, I, I know particularly accessories in, in the trans, in the generation one transformers line in particular, there, some of these accessories are more expensive than the figures themselves. Yes. I'll change that. Most of these accessories are more expensive than the figures themselves, you know, looking at the target masters and looking at the headmasters. So it's, it's very important that, that you cultivate relationships because I found the transformers community particularly for loose stuff, people can be very generous. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever dealt with uh, repro labels? Yes. And so what do you think of them? And do, do you think they add or subtract uh, value to the figure? Um, I think that if you're a purist, I think that you should not have any reproduction labels on your figures. I think, I think a lot of purists feel that the original stickers are the original stickers are the original stickers, and they'll go to great lengths to do that. Now, I'm collecting 40 different toy lines, so I can't think that way. 
However, I have to be very careful um, when using repro labels because, you know, if you look at even particularly some of the later stuff, if you look at like Stratotronic Jet with Gut Cruncher, um, if you look at the standard arm mode of, of that jet, the repro labels of the two red stripes on the front of the jet are silver through repro labels. They're not the right color. So I've seen discrepancies um, between the real colors of stickers and the reproduction colors. I use them to improve my transformers, but I'm not going to be reselling them. Um, if you know, it, it's it's a slippery slope. Um, I think they're very very good at what they do. I've used them many times before, but there are some reproduction labels that I won't use because they don't look like the original. Okay. I I've, I've used them many times in the past. Absolutely, yes. Right on. Um, probably should have asked this particular question before, but um, have you ever been stumped by a reissue? Like you uh, you picked it up and you like I mean obviously you said that you got most of your collecting done before the reissues came out, but um, did anybody ever hand you something and and you, you, it ended up being a reissue that you kind of didn't notice? Because some of them are, like I mentioned earlier, are very hard to distinguish from the originals. Oh, and and I have to reiterate, like I'm I've got to be very careful with my samples. Like uh, the second they're we're done taking photos, I have to you know I put them back in their bags. Uh, I always wrap them in in paper towel first because if there's any moisture, uh, then I put them back in the in the Ziploc bag and I leave the bag open and I never store toys in sealed plastic tubs so bad, very bad because they will lock moisture in it in. And even if, if the room is going under like a five degree temperature change, there will be moisture. That's very bad. So anyhow, um, have I ever been stumped? I think there are some very, 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 very good knockoffs um of g1 transformers um but you know i've i've been to i've been to the degree where i've had to go online um to look up you know uh when i've bought multiples um let's say something broke and i had to replace it i've got to be very careful so i've got to make sure that one i'm buying and and you can't convey that sometimes to online sellers i don't know if you've ever tried to ask someone online if what they're selling is original and of course they say yes and then you say does it bear these markings and they're like i don't know i'm like well i, I can't buy it until you yeah. look i can't buy it until you look and check at it so help me out a little bit um Can you send you know, me more pictures please yes i mean that that happens all the time but you know, right now, if you if you've gotten into Transformers collecting in the last five years, I'm saying a, a silent prayer to you, particularly for <laughs> the the more you know the more popular toys that have been reproduced for Optimus Prime and and you know some of the Autobot cars, particularly with with some of the the boxery. Oh man, it's it's. Uh, but you know, I, I don't have a lot of of boxed product, so. What I did was I I think my wife bought me like a, a knockoff mint in box sideswipe and a knockoff mint in box sunstreaker and the Dinobots and I took those out and I compared them to the originals and I'm like oh I couldn't 
I couldn't eyeball the differences, but when they're next to one another, it's it's fairly noticeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The box is definitely the figures less so, but under under scrutiny, you know, it's it's as it's as big of a problem as some of the repro Star Wars parts, you know. Yeah, I bet. Outside of of G one, do you do you own any Transformers? Oh God, yes. Okay. What yeah. would uh, what would be in your top five then? Top five of the lines or top five Transformers that I own? Individual Transformers that are not G one. Oh, okay. Um, I I love Star Saber. I love Victory Leo. I I think Victory Saber is just one of my favorite deliveries of a concept. Uh, I. <laughs> Because the star, the the original Star Saber that I own is so delicate, I have a repro Star Saber that I've been transforming until I recently realized that the reproduction I own is worth a lot of money. So, you know, I, I just think there are so many Japanese Takara produced transformers. I have uh, knockoff reproductions of the uh, of the four dinosaur cassettes, um, the W cassettrons. Uh, I, I love those little guys. I don't know what stopped them from releasing them in the United States. I think those things are amazing. Uh, I could never track down a complete original, so I was kind of forced to buy those. Um, you're, you're still in G1, though. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, Generations. You know, I like, um, for some reason, oh, that's two G1. I'm like, uh, the, the Generations Brainstorm. Um, I I like the the Devastator. I think that Devastator's fantastic. The new um, one, yeah, the new one is beautiful, and I have the the San Diego Comic Con. Um, I loved I loved the Junkion um, scrap heap that they made. You know, it's a little fragile. Um, I'm I'm trying to think what I just picked up. I loved the uh, the RC that they made. Um, Okay, yeah, yeah. That was two years ago. That was beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm looking on, I'm, uh, I was just playing with the Buzzsaw, um, what is it, the data disc? The one that's on the shelves right now. The, the, like the, the tablet? Yeah, the tablet. I think, I think it's very clever. I think it's really odd that they released that Buzzsaw for a blaster that's not going to be released until Titans Returns. I thought that was, Really interesting that they released him kind of earlier than he could be used. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that's clever that it, that it, that it, that, that it transforms from, from the condor to the tank to the, um, to the tablet. Um, I, I have all the combiner wars combiners. I have oh, cool. the Skylinks one downstairs put together, ready to go. I have Bruticus downstairs, ready to go. I have had Scattershot for two months, and I have not seen one Technobot. Listen, I I live about a quarter to a half a mile away from a Walmart, a Toys R Us, and a Target. I can visit them any day, and I do, often every day. I don't know why I have yet to see one Technobot Combiner Wars limb anywhere. You won't. They're not releasing them individually. They're they're a gift set. But why did they release Scattershot then? He was uh, he was supposed to be the end of the line, but then they uh, they they kind of decided, oh well, let's make a let's make a Computron. 
I mean, we've gone this far and we probably could piece together a Computron. So, yeah, he's uh, he was like... I feel uh, like Ralph Wiggum right now. Like, my heart's breaking. Like, I want to... <laughs> He's been sitting there like I have all my Combiner Wars figures just sitting there and like Scattershot's just chilling out, like smoking a cigarette on his own. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's no going to be a, um, they're, they're releasing a, uh, a full gift set. It'll be a Toys R Us exclusive. And I think it's about a uh, hundred and twenty bucks, hundred bucks for you guys in the States. Um, okay. But but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's coming soon. Um, OK. But uh, but yeah, this was supposed to be the end of the uh, the Combiner Wars line. They were going to call him Betatron because he was supposed yeah, to combine. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, I saw the the photos for this. You know, I was I just thought I was I could I've never seen the Ultra Magnus either. We never got an Ultra Magnus shipment. All we've gotten are uh, our Megatron, Armada Megatron, and Skywarp. No Ultra Magnuses in our in any Ultra of those Magni. stores. Ultra Magni. Ultra <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, that's unfortunate. Ultra Magnus is a good figure. I don't want to talk about. <laughs> I, I, you know, when you when you're that close to having everything in that line, and I love yeah. the I love the Megatron, but I just I'd really like that Ultra Magnus sometimes. It'd be nice. What about the Masterpiece line? You, do you get into that? I do. I have uh, Prime Megatron, Starscream. Uh, let's see, Skywarp. I got the the prime. I think I got the Japanese exclusive prime that came with a cardboard trailer. It was it was a really early version, um, and I never went and got the trailer. But I that's one of those lines where I just had to say, I, I just I can't do this. <laughs> I can't. Well, what I'll what I'll do is somewhere along the line, maybe sometime next year, um, I have I have like five or six hundred auctions I have to put up of doubles and triples and and doubles and triples comics that. Um, that's a line where I might look and see if there's a loose lot of, you know, five to 10 of the ones that I've missed. And if I can get it for like, you know, four to 600 or something, I don't know. I'll, I'll pull the trigger on it, but they're beautiful. Yeah. I think they're gorgeous. I just, it, you know, I can't remember how long it took for me to learn how to transform that Megatron, but you know, that was like two hours just learning how to transform because Whenever I get a transformer, what I do is I bring it home. Uh, I take a, a a pen knife or something. I cut the blister uh, three quarters of the way, or I'll open the box. I take the transformer out. I take the instructions out. I transform them. Then I transform them as you know, maybe ten or fifteen times in a row, um, just so I get that that muscle memory, um, and then I put it back. But that was. It was a chore, <laughs> and it, playing with a toy shouldn't feel like a chore. It, they are gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Um, well, that but, that masterpiece Megatron's a piece of junk. Um, yeah, that that Jeremy, took way too long. Yep. It took or, way too long. I mean, that was just and delicate. Like I was afraid I was going to break it four times. So it just took. It, that was two hours just learning how to transform. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, do I? I think it's a beautiful line, yeah. But it, um, I, I just there's something about the scale of what of what Hasbro's do. Like I'm so excited for the Titans figures. I just I can't wait. Like I I love Headmasters. I've always loved Headmasters. If I want to show 
a transformer other than, you know, uh, an 84 or an 85 transformer to the uninitiated, to some, a friend of mine. I'll pop out like Hardhead and Duros and I'll, you know, I'll show it off like that. Um, well, I wouldn't do that with Hardhead because you can't flip down his chest piece without a break. I've gone through two of those or three of those, but, um, you know, brainstorm an arcana or something and I'll, I'll show that because I just love, so I'm so excited about, uh, about the, the Titans line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've collected Armada and Energon and, and Cybertron and yeah, I have, I have quite a bit after, after G1. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I loved. I, I love the Energon concept. I like some of the designs there. I thought it was fun. So that's next to, next to the Generations line. That's, I think Energon, uh, Armada or Energon, that would probably be one of my favorite other than G1 that I, that I keep going back to and retransforming and recombining just the simple fact that you could, you could take with Energon, you could take two figures and kind of merge them together. I just love that concept. It was very clever. <clears throat> so you were involved in some of the, the comics, uh, through IDW. Um, so with, uh, with, been with working on the U S classic comics volumes, um, were you involved with the with the production at all, or just the intros? No, nothing. I had I was not involved in the production of those at all. Okay. So I wrote the I wrote the introductions. Um, I was really nervous, um, particularly with the first volume. Um, you know, having looked at at some of the other <laughs> reproduction uh, or or trade paperbacks, like. Are we going to be able to include issue three in this? Um, and you know, I think at the eleventh hour, IDW Regal did, did a great job, and uh, and we, you know, that was the beginning of their relationship. I believe reprinting um, some Marvel stuff. So they said, "Yeah, it's okay. You're fine." I'm like, "Oh my god, was Circuit Breakers cool too?" And they said, "Yeah." So that was I had nothing to do with that. That's all. That's all. Wow. You know, IDW. But I'm very glad that it actually got you know reproduced. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was that was good because it, it had been reproduced before, and they had been they those t- two books particularly had been left out. Oh, and it, it and that issue three is so freaking essential to that story. Oh yes, yeah. Now, um, have you been keeping up with the IDW Transformers comics? Unfortunately, I have not. Oh, I am. I have not. I've. I usually I'll. I'll ask them to send me comp copies and the, I don't, I haven't even read the stuff that I got from them the last time I asked for it. So, um, I've heard really, really good things. I just, I just have to make the time. I mean, I'm doing so much research right now, um, for the website that right now that stuff is on the back burner. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I will read it eventually because I think they have some, some, some very, very good writers who are very knowledgeable about the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a long time coming. They've, they've done a good job with the title. And I think that's why, that's why Hasbro has the faith in them, that, that mm-hmm. they've, they've handled it so well. Um, and hopefully, hopefully the company will still grow. And I, yeah, it's for them. the, uh, the two titles, the two main titles, particular, 
um, are are absolutely fantastic. So I, you'll, I, I mean, I don't want to to build it up too high for you, but it is uh, some of the best uh, Transformers comics um, I I can remember in the last uh, in the last while. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, then, then I have to read them. Oh, you should. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So, as far as collecting goes, I mean, you you collect a, a significant number of toy lines. How have you seen um, collecting as a whole change in the last ten to twenty years? I think I was really nervous about ten years ago when I when I witnessed a lot of the original guard of fans of fandom for these toy lines the original guys who were there when this website got launched and that website got launched and they maintained the web presence and they're the you know what's the french word the ominous grease of of their particular lines you know they're the i was really nervous when a new generation of fans who didn't grow up with these properties started asking questions and started to establish them a foothold in the collectible communities because I I think that um, some old school collectors think that this that was a province of theirs mm-hmm. and they revile newbies and, and they they don't want to share. Um, and that made me really nervous, you know, because these brands have to grow. You know, that's that's what revolution is about with, you know, with what IDW is doing is we we need new people to be introduced to these brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need, you know, that's what the Force Awakens did was it, it resurrected the brand and, and ushered in an entire new market base. And I think I think I was really apprehensive of how people were not welcomed. But I think that now people are recognizing that we need new blood. And thank thank God, you know, because, um, <laughs> you know, as everyone says when they retire, that's when I'll sell my stuff. If there's no one there to buy it, your stuff's not going to be worth anything. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think <laughs> it, it really warms my soul when I go into the action figure aisle of, of um, Toys R Us, action figure aisles of Toys R Us, or the action figure figure aisles of Walmart, and see, you know, Transformers and Star Wars. Oh, look, there's wrestling and Teenage Ninja Turtles and Marvel and DC superheroes. Oh, my God, it's just like 1985. Mm-hmm. You know, even though He-Man and G.I. Joe are missing, I think we'll see both of them, G.I. Joe more so than He-Man, in the next, you know, year or two in the action figure aisle. Okay. Um, but, you know, I've, I've never been a person who said, no, don't do anything new. I've never been averse to anything new. I think it's interesting. Okay. I've got a couple uh, quicker questions here for you. Something um, maybe kind of fun. Most underrated toy line you've ever bought? Hmm. Um, I'm a playset guy. I've always loved playsets. I've always worshipped playsets, and I think Kenner has been has made some, particularly with Adventures of Indiana Jones and with Star Wars, has made some 
beautiful play sets, but there was a toy line made from 1980 until 1982 produced by Kenner that was called Glamour Gals, and they were like Barbie dolls, but they were three and three quarter inches tall and had rooted hair. They had a firebird and they had all this stuff, and they had a play set called the Ocean Queen play set. Mm. And this was about two and a half feet tall and three and a half feet, four feet long. And it was a cruise ship with a dentist's office and a mm-hmm. Lido deck and a shuffleboard court and a bar. It, it's a three, just when you get a chance, just type in Ocean Queen because it's manufactured to a three and three quarter inch 116 scale. So it's pretty remarkable that that piece, maybe not the line as a whole, but that piece is one of is is one of the most beautiful toys ever manufactured. And you know, you can't I don't think you can find it for less than six or seven hundred dollars complete um today, but it is it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I think it's got like 150 pieces to assemble it and then 50 plus accessories. You could buy a crew, uh, a set of three crew members for that ship separately. So it's, um, that was the line that had a, a mail away glamour gal stand that was based directly on the Star Wars, um, display stand, mail away display stand from the 12 back packages. And it was cast in a different color and it's super rare. So yeah, it's an interesting toy line. Yeah. Most overrated toy line you've ever bought. Wow. I think I think Zivas was way overrated for what they were. I think it was it was a beautiful toy line, but I, I don't think the marketing did it justice. Um oh, okay. The most overrated toy line, uh I, I, I can't say a whole toy line, but I will say this one assortment. The most disappointed I ever was with with a toy line, a major manufactured toy line, was with the three and three quarter inch GI Joe figures and their Battle Battle Force two thousand vehicles. Because on the packages of the Battle Force two thousand three and three quarter inch GI Joe vehicles, it said each of these six vehicles comes with a component that you could use to assemble the future fortress. And I'm like, oh my god. I can't wait. They're like 10 bucks each. And I bought the figures and then I held all the label and I set them all up. And this is my own money. You know, this was a lot of money back in the day. And the, the pieces to assemble this future fortress, even though just a year before Hasbro had manufactured all the main four transformer combiners, you know, the aerial bots and Mm -hmm. and with the battle force 2000 future fortress playset, you put the pieces next to one another mm-hmm. and it was done <laughs> that was it and I, I kept looking at the instructions and i kept looking at the toys and i'm like there's there's no there's no clip that you literally place them next to each other on the floor and that assembles the future fortress i felt like i felt like someone had come out of a Hasbro box and, and slapped me in the face. <laughs> it was just like, you know, and then I look at like the Starcom pods, the mobile action pods that they make and look at how they delivered that product. And then I look at the future fortress and I think, how, how did Hasbro make this so badly back then? Um, 
But, you know, there were, that's right around the time when The Defiant came out. So, you know, I, I can't knock G.I. Joe. That was just one of, one of the only toys where I was like scratching my head, like, how is that possible? What, what would be the strangest toy you've ever bought? Oh, really, dude? Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, hold on. Yeah, no, no, that's not that odd. Okay. I think it was in the late 70s. There was a toy. It was called Dolly Pops. Shall I, shall I explain what it was? Imagine, sure. do you know what a weeble is? Yes. The weebles. Imagine a weeble cut in half, yeah. hollowed out with rooted hair, and imagine you had, um, like a flat play set with designs on it, and you could pop the little half weebles with rooted hair onto that playset, and they were called Dolly Pops. And my sister had them when she was a kid, and she loved them, so I bought her one in the box at a flea market. Dolly Pops. Oh, what a bad, bad, bad idea. Oh, what a bad idea. Bad, bad. Um, I just looked up pictures of those, and I remember, I think my sister had some of those as well. Yeah, they like, were. Like, what do you do with them? That's it. I mean, you just kind of, I, I guess, moved them around a little bit. Um, but, you know, there, I just, there's so much. I have a Boy George doll. I have, you know, Michael Jackson dolls. I have, I have so much stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff that I've, that I've bought in the past. Um, oh, there's a, there's a, when Cabbage Patch Kids were very, very popular. Um, I think in 1984, about a year after Cabbage Patch Kids became popular, they made pets for the Cabbage Patch Kid called Kusas, K-O-O-S-A-S. And my sister had one named Punky. So when I was researching for my Totally Tubular 80s Toys book, I included Punky in the photograph. And after I did, someone called me up and said, you have to write an article on that. And I said, no, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a weird toy. Pets for Cabbage Patch Kids. It had yarn here. It was really creepy looking. Um, yeah, there's, I have, there's so much weird crap. Um, all right. Well, what, what would be the most expensive toy you've ever bought? Uh, the most money I've ever paid or, or what toy do I own that's the most? Well, let's go most, toy. most money you've ever paid on for one, for one particular toy. Uh, mint on card. No. The, uh, the Star Wars Early Bird Kit. Yeah, that's probably the most I've ever paid at one time for a collectible. Okay. And this was like maybe eight or nine years ago, and I think I paid like, I paid a lot of money for it, maybe $1,800 or something. But it, wow. you know, I think it was complete. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a, a very expensive piece. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, uh, or I used to. When I was working at the college, I wouldn't ever use that money to buy toys. I used the money from the royalty checks I made from the books and trades um, for other toys that I might have. So, um, yeah, I uh, I try not to spend you know money, but it's getting more and more difficult now that I'm trying to yeah. finish up these lines. Is there a toy you've ever regretted buying? You know, that Battle Force 2000 Future Fortress comes to mind. <laughs> um, 
No, there, there are always, there's always, you know, maybe once a year I'll, I'll buy a toy and I'll be like, that's it. Um, um, I think when I was collecting in humanoids at the time, I think I thought they were different than what the package said. Cause I got them home and I'm like, okay, so it, uh, the, the, the inhumanoid, um, Oh, the rock people from the Inhumanoids, they are called... I don't know. I don't remember. But they're (laughs) supposed to change um, from a a robot with kind of glowing eyes, not a robot, a a rock creature with with eyes that glow into a pile of rocks. And what they look like was uh, a figure that you just kind kind of pushed on the ground. Um, it, It was... One of the worst concepts, and I think the tree people, Redlin and Red Sun, uh, the Granox, that's what they were called. But the tree people for the Inhumanoid line were great. You could extend them, but these rock people, like the the box touted, you can transform them into piles of rocks. No, it just looked like uh, the figure is bent in half with his ass in the air, and it's <laughs> rocks. It, it was it was pretty bad. It was very badly delivered. Um, mm-hmm. At uh, at this point in time, would uh, d- do you still have something that you would consider a holy grail, a toy that that you're chasing? You just haven't been able to to find or or get. There's you know there's always stuff that I'm looking for. Um, holy grail. I think if if I want to write or pursue writing a Masters of the Universe book, and it's got to be a kind of a, a, a half He-Man and the Master of the Universe. And half She-Ra Princess of Power, um, because mm-hmm. there's just not, I think there's only 160 to 170 total pieces in the vintage, vintage He-Man line, and even dedicating one page each, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, I think Titus and Megator from that line become essential, um, for inclusion in that book, and unfortunately, so even to find Titus and Megator, uh, the Italian exclusives, <clears throat> complete, that could be, you know, at, in these days, $1,500 to $2,000 a piece. Wow. That's many monies. Mm-hmm. Do you have, uh, do you have any stories about acquiring a particular toy that would stand out? The first time I ever wanted to buy a toy on the secondary market was when I was a, I think it was a sophomore in high school. And I had like three jobs. I think I worked after school at a drugstore and I was also mowing lawns and doing all sorts of stuff. And when I was a kid and I was three years old, I went to a Barker's department store with my dad. And I remember seeing a green arrow Mego action figure hanging on on the pegs and i said to my dad dad i've never seen him i i really want him um and my dad said i I don't have any money we can't get him and it just stuck in my head i'm like i had never seen this figure before ever and and i can't have so fast fast forward to sophomore year in high school Mm -hmm. now from the time i was like four or five when i saw that figure till sophomore year in high school i this idea of this green arrow figure had been percolating in my head. So I, I remembered that, you know, it was this, he was wearing a felt hat, you know, it was this traditional silver age Oliver Queen. 
He, he was wearing his felt hat with with an individual feather that fit in the cap, very much like the uh, Lone Ranger rides again. Tonto action figure, this one, this actual feather, and then he had these two removable gauntlets, um, but that allowed him to hold his bow, and you could pull the bow back, and then he had this this backpack with all these individual arrows that you could take out. You could pull the bow back and shoot them. And I remember that he had stitching on his chest, very much like the Neil Adams drawings of the character in Green Lan- uh, Arrow Green Lantern. And I just, I couldn't wait to have this figure. So I wanted to make sure I got him in really good, good condition. So I found him for that $80 in the toy box he had in the back of that magazine. And that was the day where you had to go to the post office, get a postal money order, take the postal money order, fill it out mail it to the toy store that was in Washington State. Then he would take it to the bank, cash it. Then he would mail you, call you up on the phone, tell you he got it, then he'd mail you the figure. So, you know, that process was like two weeks from when I sent it till when I got it. And I got in the mail, and he was mint in box, in a really nice box. And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, uh, well, those those aren't removable gloves, and that's just like a... Is that a hard plastic hat? That feather doesn't even come out. Mm. Wait a second. Those arrows aren't removable. You can't pull it. That, that bow is just one one hard plastic, like, molded bow. Like, what? This isn't the figure that I saw. I, I know that the figure was... T- I had just... I had romanticized that mm-hmm. figure in my head for, you know, ten years. And I just, I had built it up and built it up. And I think, I think because I was picked on quite a bit as a kid and, 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 you know, I'm from, my mom's from Europe and I was raised European. And, you know, I think I retreated into escapist fantasy and science fiction and action figures at an early age. So I, I spent a lot of time with them and, and they became very close and, and, and I just, I I put I put too much faith in an action figure I think for 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 happiness's sake and and it was a very valuable lesson that the very first secondary market collectible I got was disappointing mm-hmm. and that's what made me a little bit more careful and want to do as much research as possible to to be able to preserve and memorialize the way I thought of these lines. That's why I write these books because these toys were very important to me in my formative years. That's why I write them. I don't write them to make money. I I write them because I would, even if I didn't get paid to do this, I would write these. It's a compulsion. I love this. You know, I don't, I don't own 70,000 action figures because I want to say I own 70,000 action figures. I own 70,000 action figures because I can't stop collecting action figures (laughs) because I love them. Did you ever watch the show The Toy Hunter? Yes. It had the had the guy Jordan Hembro on it. Yes. Yeah. Um what did you think of the show um and uh his tactics for acquiring figures? Um well you know I I I think that a lot of people uh like that show. I think that that show helped to promote our hobby. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tactics. <laughs> I think uh, if I, this is what I'll say in response to that, and I know where you're going. 
I have had the opportunity in my life. I've worked with lots of different people who have lots of pre-production stuff and paintings and photographs and toys. And I have to make sure that when, if I meet this guy on Wednesday, that I want to be able to look this guy in the face on Thursday mm -hmm. and make sure that uh, he wasn't taken advantage of. Right. And I, I think that, you know, it's, it's really important that when you're promoting this hobby, that it, it's, it should be a very democratic process. Um, one of the things that breaks my heart about collectible shows like Pawn Stars Right. Is when you see an older, and regardless of if it's staged or not, <laughs> we've seen this scene many times, when an older person who looks like they don't have a lot of money comes in with a very valuable item, and you know this person's eating cat food, and you know this person hasn't had a shower in a month, and yet you know that thing's worth $10,000, and you're going to give him 2000 for it, and and if he just put that item on eBay and he could get ten thousand for it, he could make his life differently. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think I think I've, I've said all I really wanted to say. I think that okay, you know, there's a different way to approach stuff. Yeah. How with regards to Star Wars? Now, obviously, we just had the new movie, um, but how much is too much Star Wars? What does that mean? Well. With regards to that, we we just had the new movie, and we're going to have another one this year. Oh, yeah. After, before this movie came out um, in December, we hadn't had a movie in a very long time. Now, there was not a toy shelf lacking Star Wars stuff that entire time. Mm -hmm. um, and now with the promise of... Force Awakens included six Star Wars movies in the next 10 years. Um, they are Disney being they uh, are going to really pummel us with Star Wars merchandise. Mm -hmm. um, so at what point are we are we past the point of oversaturation or um, I mean, Star Wars is probably at the top of the, the, the heap when it comes to mer merchandising. Um, with regards to their their IP, but you know, can can a brand really kill you with merchandising where you really don't care about it anymore? I think I think a brand can kill you with merchandising. I I think I think there's a a reason why a lot of veteran collectors stopped collecting the three and three quarter inch line and moved to the six inch line, even though you know. Most, you know, 90% of their collection is three and three quarter, three, three and three quarter inch product. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm included. I don't, I've collected Star Wars figures since, you know, 1978. I have not, I don't think I bought any Force Awakens product. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't because in 2008 and in 2009 and 2010, I was buying three and three quarter inch figures with 22 points of articulation and gorgeous accessories and I can't buy a, a five POA figure anymore. I, I just can't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I I can't. <laughs> I, I you know it's for me it's not 
the oversaturation of of the media it's the quality of the product i wouldn't mind if if the the product had had quality star wars black line is one of my favorite toy lines of all time uh, not black um the the vintage collection line is one of my favorite toy lines mm-hmm. of all time and the prices on those pieces in the last 2 years are through the roof but now people who should be collecting product that's on the shelves are foregoing that and collecting and going back and collecting the clone wars stuff the legacy stuff and the vintage collection stuff because they're considering that that time to be the heyday of of modern star wars collecting you know look at the price of a of a vintage collection uh emperor's royal guard now it's it's ridiculous mm-hmm. um but they're they're not producing the product that a lot of diehards were accustomed to right grown accustomed to but will they produce too much to the point where they it will just be just it it will just be too much you know i don't know but i i know one thing every time i go into a walmart and every time i go into a target and every time i go into a toys r us their pegs are full of star wars toys mm-hmm. full and not moving like they're not <laughs> they're not going like when when the the vintage collection stuff was being refreshed by the end of the week, they were picked. It, it was picked over. It's that's not ha- happening anymore. So, yeah. I think there's. I think there's a consideration that yeah, you know, you got you got the the licensing rights, you got the marketing rights, but you're not selling the amount of product that right. you want. And I, I don't know if it's oversaturation, but I I know that you know I was a diehard, and now I I feel myself yearning for twenty. 2009 and 2008 and 2010. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Can can G.I. Joe be saved? Yes. Okay. Um elaborate. Well, I I think it I think it can be saved if you do something. It couldn't be um Sigma 6. It it can't be it's got to be something altogether new. As revolutionary as what Hassenfeld Brothers did in 81 and 82 has to be done. It has to be an entirely different brand. Okay. Can it be done? Yeah. I mean, think of it this way. If if the vintage GI, 12-inch G.I. Joe line sold military product from you know 64 to, let's say, 69, and sold adventure-based product from 70 to 76... You know, it's, I don't know if it's the, the military that, that people don't want. I, I think, I think the brand has changed. I mean, G.I. Joe was uh, essentially originally, you know, a Cold War toy line. You know, mm-hmm. it's a Reaganomics toy line. It, we're, we're so far beyond that now. Um, I, I don't, you know, of course, the follow up question is so what would you do? How would you reintroduce the toy line? I have no idea. Yeah. I'd have like, to sit down with 20 marketing experts and no, you know what? I have to sit down with 20 children, 20 boys and find out what they like. I think one of the big problems is, is a lot of the kids that would be generally would be playing with GI Joe's and not that I'm trying to save GI Joe. I'm not a huge fan of GI Joe. I just don't like to see a toy line die. Um, but, um, 
the kids that would be playing with GI Joes are instead playing Call of Duty and are their imagination is not being used through GI Joe and it, they're instead virtually living out the GI Joe on the on the Call of Duty screen. Um, but one of the ideas that I floated on Twitter months ago now um, was to increase the size of the figures to the to the six inch um, and, and increase the 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 accessory count. Right. Is because th- that was what you mentioned earlier was one of the big changes in, in the early 80s was bringing them down from the 12 inch to the three and three quarter. Right. Yes. So that would be a fundamental change. Um, and then maybe obviously pairing them with a, uh, with a recognizable brand. Um, but I mean, I, I'm not a huge GI Joe fan, like I said, so I'm not really into it, but, uh, but GI Joe is, I don't even know if it's even on life support anymore. It might be full on dead. Um, but it's, um, I'm, I'm sure with anything it can be, uh, resurrected. Um, you know, this brand has weathered so much. I, I, I don't think the brand is, is gone. I think Hasbro's been regrouping and trying to think what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a very, uh, I think it's, it's not an easy global brand like Transformers or like Star Wars. You know, Transformers, right. I, I think even more than Star Wars is a global brand. Um, but I, I think it's, it's, it is a difficult sell branded as GI Joe. Um, but, but, you know, we don't, you know, what's going to sell, ultimately what's going to sell the line of the characters. Mm-hmm. So someone's got to think of something and I'm sure they have. It's just, you know, you've got to, you've got to make it a product that both collectors and kids are going to respond to. Right. Because, you know, 10 years ago, the collector's market was, you know, eight to 12% of the market. But now I think, you know, for many toy lines, we're, we're a considerable, a considerable amount of the profit. Mm -hmm. Did you ever watch the, uh, the show and it's still on the, the Goldbergs? No. No, oh. I, I, I think I may have watched one episode of it and I've been told by many people to watch it, but I, I, I watch, uh, I binge watch a lot of, uh, a lot of old school shows and stuff okay. like that. But I, you are, you are not alone in saying I should watch the gold books. Yeah. Take a look at it. They, uh, they do a really good job of placing the old, old 80s, uh, toys within the show. Awesome. Um, now you mentioned it briefly throughout the uh, the the interview here is that you do ton time and time again attend conventions. Oh yeah, um, all the time. What uh, do you have any conventions you're you're attending in the future? Right now, um, I know if I if I commit to a convention, then I'll com- commit to ten. So right now, my job is to finish the flavor text and the photography right. for this website okay. because I've been putting it off for too long. And if I don't really buckle down, this is never going to get done. Okay. And I, I just don't want, to, I really want to get this taken care of. I, and I'm excited because it, it, it looks good. I, I, I'm having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on the live action transformers movies? Okay. Um, <laughs> if, the live action Transformers movies are critically 
well received, people are going to go. People are going to want to go back to a better vanished time and buy my book. But if the live action Transformers movies are critically panned, well, people are probably going to want to go back to a better vanished time and buy my book. <laughs> so that's uh, that's usually the response I give regarding the Transformers movies is, you know, regardless of, of how well-received they are, um, people are always looking backwards. And I think Hasbro's done a great job of positioning the iconic characters over, repositioning them over and over in the modern toy lines. Um, but, uh, you know, I <laughs> what, what can I say? I'm going to get these Titans figures, and I'm going to be playing with Headmasters within this month brand new ones that's right and that is a direct <laughs> a direct result of the uh the movie uh monies oh yeah and and i'm they're actually going to be selling just headmasters you know like they did in in japan uh, uh apart from the figures and and i'm, I'm very excited about this <laughs> i can't wait for these toys to be in my hands Right on. Well, that was the last question I had for the interview. Okay. But we have one more little bit for you. And these are our rapid fire questions. And oh. these are really, really quick little questions. These are like, um, you know, one, one answer. No, no, not really like a follow up kind of just. Okay. Not a yes or no, but, uh, you know, just a binary, yeah, answer. So we'll just, uh, we'll quickly run through these and, uh, find out a little bit more about you okay all right autobot or decepticon oh decepticon who is your favorite decepticon uh ape face or snapdragon all right uh transformers live action movie one two three or four one all right megan fox rosie huntington wheatley or nicola peltz megan fox okay um I was going to, this next one's about the comics. You haven't read any of the newer comics, so I'm going to skip that one. Okay. Uh, third party toys. Yes or no? Yes. Cats or dogs? Cats. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Lots of it. Chicken or steak? Chicken. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Burger King or McDonald's? McDonald's. History or science? Um... Both. All right. Uh, Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. All right. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Red Dead Redemption. Oh, yes, that's an sir. oldie. That is an oldie. Yeah. Uh, PC or Mac? Uh, Mac, actually. All right. iPhone or Android? iPhone. And is there a phone app that you cannot live without? I don't think uh soon to be released toy app. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh maybe Google Maps when I'm in the city. Um Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Marvel or DC? Uh pre nineteen eighty six DC, post nineteen eighty six Marvel. It's <laughs> very specific. Um who would be your favorite pre nineteen eighty six DC carrier? character or post 1986 marvel character 
my favorite pre-86 DC character, um, Captain Boomerang. Okay. My favorite uh, post-86 Marvel. Boy, probably Spider-Man. Okay. Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Stallone. Zoe Saldana, Scarlett Johansson, or Maggie Q? Zoe Saldana. All right. Twilight or The Hunger Games? Um, Battle Royale. <laughs> All right. It's a Pix- Japanese movie. <laughs> Pixar or DreamWorks? Probably DreamWorks. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star- I, the, I, I think I know the answer to this one. Yeah. Uh, the Simpsons or Family Guy? Um, Archer. Archer. Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Neither. Oh boy. NFL, MLB, NHL, or NBA? NFL. Right. Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, or Volkswagen Beetle? Uh, probably the Lamborghini. Um. Lastly, blonde, brunette, or redhead? Um, well, my wife has very dark hair, so brunette to black hair. All right. That's a safe bet. Mm-hmm. I'll go with that one. Indeed. Awesome. Well, that's it. Thanks for running the gauntlet with us. No problem. Anytime. Um, are there any upcoming projects that you're working on that you'd like to tell us about? Other than the, uh, the website, obviously. Um, you know, uh, if you, you have any questions uh, about any of my books or any work that I've done, uh, please uh, get me on Facebook. But the website will launch at some point this year. Um, and ho- hopefully it'll be as, as comprehensive as, as I'd, I'd like it to be. Um, but, you know, the goal for it is to have utility. So it'll be, I want anyone in the world to be able to take a box of action figures from 1966 to let's say 2012 dump it out on a table and be able to identify parts and who the figures are so hopefully that's what it's going to be for wow but uh yeah it's a that's ambitious we'll see we'll see yeah and uh you just mentioned facebook is there any other way that people can find you or your work um my books are in any bookstore around the world and uh you know beyond transformers uh the ultimate guide um i have the star wars ultimate guide out i have toys and prices the 20th edition i think the pocket guide to star wars is out as well and i'm currently working on gi joe the complete collection a multi-volume hardcover reproduction of every gi joe vintage comic from 82 until 95 wow oh yeah you can just throw my name into into uh google and you'll find me eventually (laughs) that's amazing thank you very much mark for joining us uh, anytime and and i i appreciate you guys having me it was it was a lot of fun and i love talking toys and i love talking about transformers it's awesome well you're welcome back anytime thank you thank you very much Thanks again to Mark Belomo for coming on to the show. We really appreciate him giving us uh, his time and it was a great interview, great discussion. And, uh, that guy knows toys. So, uh, I, you should definitely check out all the, all the books he's written. Uh, they're quite comprehensive. 
uh, and definitely check out the uh, Transformers Ultimate Guide to Vintage Transformers that should be out by the time this podcast is up. So check that out on Amazon and you can get your copy. And thanks again for listening to this episode of Transmissions. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for picking up our transmissions. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com. There, you can find all of our contact information on social media, as well as all of the links to our show notes discussed on each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.